This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I love the Jets, so when I, when I had the opportunity, I'm hitting free agency, and then I just felt like the stars kind of aligned. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, I'm joined by my former co-host and longtime partner at TOJ, Dalvin Asario. We are going to talk about the Jets' expectations after free agency, some of our favorites for the NFL draft as we are really going to start slamming the foot down on the gas pedal of NFL draft coverage now that we're about a month out. Uh, we'll have a, we've already had and we'll have more content on the way uh, strictly focusing on that. We'll also answer some of your questions on Twitter and talk about some prospective trades for the New York Jets. Dalbin, always great to talk to you. Always great to have you back. How you been? I'm good, man. And listen, I I was I thought I'd be back when Le'Veon signed. I thought that I'd be back when uh you know the great Anthony Barr signed and then and then you know took his signing back. And then I thought I was like, oh, maybe they're just waiting for like the Josh Bellamy signing to be final because I you know I, I figured I thought you were saving the big guns for the big signings and then when that didn't happen I was like oh maybe I've been relegated to bench warmer status but it's always good to be back Joe especially a month a month away from the draft and also with still so many talented free agents still on the market that could help the Jets so it's it's fun to be back as always with you. It's the it was the Chandler Cantonzaro signing that really pushed it over the edge to bring I knew you back. It. That was the domino we were waiting to fall. Um, knew it, knew it. It's kind of like it's kind of like when when uh, Grandmaster Pycel got you know killed in the brothel. I guess like that's just kind of the turning point of the Great War. Hey man, I, that's a perfect analogy, and we're only a few weeks out from that as well. It's going to be a busy April, definitely. Um, so my sort of now that we're a couple of weeks out and all this, all the dust is basically settled on the major free agents. I I find myself, and I want your opinion as well. With with fairly mixed feelings so far about the Jets offseason. I am ecstatic they signed Le'Veon Bell. I love the deal they signed him to. No one wanted that guy in the Jets more than I did, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, I really like the Jamison Crowder signing. Uh, he was one of my favorite options out there on the market, probably like just behind Adam Humphreys, like my 1B guy at receiver. I love the trade for Kalecce Assembly. I think it was a smart, proactive move to take advantage of a fairly weak offensive line market. I know C.J. Mosley is a great player. Uh, he's a great inside linebacker. All that being said, I am still a bit baffled at how the Jets have sat out the market altogether at edge rusher, uh, how they have not addressed center uh, and I'm still very wary about what they have overall on the offensive line uh, and what they have at the cornerback position as well, which isn't getting talked about quite as much. But an old declining Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole, who I basically see as a younger buster screen, maybe a, li- a little more athletic, but same style of game, same problems and same positives with his game. So I see a team that probably feels like a seven or eight win team right about now, but net net, what are you overall thinking about what you saw the first three weeks of free agency? Yeah. I mean, uh, two things right off the bat that you mentioned that I absolutely agree with and that I think I, I feel like I should expand on. It's, it's really insane to think that one, I mean, last year we got the tweet from Jamal Adams after week one, that the culture has changed. And then we hear Adam Gase this week say that the reason they signed CJ Mosley was to change the culture. So, I mean, the our culture is always changing. No more, no more <laughs> culture talk. Oh my God. 
Yeah, it was kind of insane, man. Like, I rolled my eyes when I read that, and then, like, and the dance asked to me, he's like, well, when you have a chance to change a changed culture, you kind of have to do it, right? So I guess you had to uh, pay C.J. Mosley. The bigger issue with the C.J. Mosley signing, and again, C.J. Mosley's arguably, if not the best inside linebacker in football, top three behind, you know, Bobby Wagner and Luke Keekley. But then, but the thing is that you're essentially, you paid top dollar to replace the guy you took in round one just three years ago. And so that, again, speaks to a bigger Mike McCagnan issue because had you drafted a, you know, had you gone Paxton Lynch in round one or had you gone Ryan Ramsey, you know, just kind of show up the offensive line, then maybe this makes more sense than now you trying to take a seventh or a sixth round pick for Darren Lee. With that said, I like the CJ Mosley signing. I, you know, I live in the DMV area. I got to see a lot of Ravens games. He's a stud, but I do wonder what happens when teams start to spread out the Jets because while CJ Mosley is better in coverage than Avery Williamson, Avery Williamson is still kind of a liability in coverage. So it's going to be interesting to see that. Love the Le'Veon Bell signing. I, like same as you, and honestly, I don't think there much more needs to be said about that. I think Jamison Crowder is a sneaky play to to, to have over a thousand yards in this offense because he's better than Albert Wilson who Adam Gates found a way to scheme for last year in Miami. The thing that I think worries me the most, Joe, is two things. One, and a lot of Jet fans have bought this hook, line, and sinker that the Jets decided to pass on Paradis, who had a broken leg, and pass on Mitch Moores because he had a concussion or whatever the case may be, when we've now seen that that's not the case. They just they didn't make an offer to them. And for a team who could have gotten their franchise quarterback killed because of how bad the center play was last year to not be in on the top two centers on the market is kind of a joke to me. And I understand that like this whole belief that like, Oh, well they had to save money for Anthony Barr and blah, 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 blah. I think that's a load. That's a load of BS because you, you came into this off season, Joe, $96 million in cap space. And you mean to tell me that you couldn't figure this part out to add a center. I love them trading for KO adding another Nigerian. Dan loves that. We're probably going to get Joel off rights at the next TOJ, you know, potluck that we bring together. And that's great, man. But listen, like center was a bigger problem than James Carpenter last year. Like call it what it is. And I'm not banking on Jonathan Harrison. Then on the cornerback side, you, you don't opt to aim for any of the high upside guys, you know, like Darkwood Denard or, you know, Jason Verrett or any of these guys. Instead you pay Daryl Roberts, like he's a starter and you bring in Brian Poole, who again, wasn't as good as Dark was Denard in the slot last year and was not better than Buster Screen. He's younger, sure, but he struggled a lot in coverage. He allowed a catch rate of like 78 uh, completion percentage against him. I, I'd worry about him having to play significant snaps, and the Jets are playing him, paying him to be essentially a starter in their base nickel defense, and that's a concern for me. The last concern, I think, I the Jets have done they've added they've added talent they've added all pro talent which is great but what they have now forced themselves to do they have to take an edge rusher at three because you weren't in on Justin Houston you because you went after Anthony Barr and then didn't pivot quick enough you missed out on Preston Smith so and you and you didn't go after Dante Fowler Jr. so you've essentially allowed talented guys that, that could have filled edge needs for the last decade you've let them sign with other teams and now you've pigeonholed yourself into having to take an edge at three because if you trade back to 15 or if you trade back to 29 that's when things get a little murky in the draft then there's a significant gap from Josh Allen from good Josh Allen and Brian Burns to all the other edge rushers in this draft so now McCagden has no choice but to take a guy at three and Josh Allen who's going to be a stud but where you could have been better suited had you had you signed Justin Houston to trade back get more picks and add more talent because this team still needs it so I, I if I had to grade the offseason I'd give it 
a B because, again, you added so much talent, but you left a lot of meat on the bone, as they say. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think it's like, it's happy. It's possible to be happy about some of the things that they did and also a little disappointed about the approach that they've taken with roster building. And people have gotten mad when I said, well, they haven't sat out the edge market. Well, then they failed in the edge market. I mean, maybe it's not fair, but right. when you put all the time into Anthony Barr, who's not an edge rusher, and you're going to try to make him switch positions, which may not have been the wisest thing to do anyway, and then you miss out on two or three other edge guys, Preston Smith, Zedarius Smith, other guys you might have considered, that's a failure in strategy. And to come back at this point and have the exact same group of edge rushers, you just paint yourself into a corner and limit your options draft weekend. And there was no reason to do that with the cap flexibility that they had overall. And the decision to invest so heavily in Mosley and then also invest so heavily in Henry Anderson and basically pay him like a top 10, 3-4 defensive end. And Henry Anderson was very good last year, who's their best defensive lineman. His first three years of his career, he could not stay healthy. So you're paying on the outlier, which is risky. Uh, and there's guaranteed money uh, in that deal. It's not just a one-year deal. It's a multi-year commitment. And that is risky in my mind. And I, I write about this a little more in an article that's coming out Friday. My concern is that the Jets do not seem to vibe with the rest of the league being in on edge rushers, uh, being in on cornerbacks, being in on offensive line, being a priority, and that this league is moving to be faster and more spread out, and yet the Jets are doubling down on 3-4 interior defensive linemen and inside linebackers, and Mosley is a great player, but I worry about how certain teams are going to attack the Jets and try to get Mosley to a lesser extent, but a guy like Avery Williamson, get him in space and try to take advantage of him. So I think it's going to be a challenge for Greg Williams uh, unless the Jets get much better at edge rusher and at cornerback. Offensively, I really like what they did with the three additions to help San Darnold. I think Osemele is a nice upgrade over Carpenter. I think Jameson Crowder could very well end up being second or third on this team in reception. Uh, right up there with Bell and Robbie Anderson. Um, and, uh, you know, Bell is, is speaks for itself with the talent he's going to bring to the skill position group overall. I do worry about the depth on the offensive yeah. line. Very few teams feel good about their depth on the offensive line, but I hope they could add some young developmental players to uh, work behind yeah. a guy like Kelvin Beecham, who might not be here after next year. A guy like Brian Winters, who is barely an average starter and might not be here after next year. Right now, your backups there are Brent Qualley and Tom Compton, which is pretty concerning if one of those guys go down. So draft is really just going to be that much more important. So there was definitely progress made. It was hard not to make progress over a 4-12 and team was picking third in the draft. And they hit some... You know, they hit on some very effective signings, and we, we talked them through. But I just think there is still more work to be done, and getting to 7 and 9 next year is not enough at this point, not enough in year 5. So you said with what they've done so far, they are basically locked into taking an edge rusher at number 3. Some people would tell you that yeah. they need to take Quinn and Williams at number 3, and that there is a big enough gap right. from a talent perspective where he is a no-brainer. I am not in the camp... Uh, where he is a no-brainer to take at number three. I believe we're in the same camp with that. Could could you talk through why you would not take him third overall? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think, one, I, I don't even consider him the best defensive tackle in this class. And so, for me, 
to take a guy with one year of production. And again, it was incredible production at Alabama over a guy like Ed Oliver, who's been much better for longer, or even over a guy like, like Mississippi's Jeffrey Simmons, who's been better for longer. It's very hard for me to say, yeah, I'm going to sit here and bank on you. You would have to be a generational defensive tackle for me to take you at three. And I don't even think he's Gerald McCoy, who's who again, like Gerald McCoy is one of the better defensive tackles in the league. And I don't think Quentin Williams is that kind of guy. I think that in this, in this draft, particular and uh you guys will see my top 100 board next next week you know to tie it into the the release of the first episode of draft season i think that there is a substantial gap between guys like nick bosa who before the college football season started i wrote in my notes and this was going into the season better than his brother because i do think that nick bosa is a better player than joey bosa coming into the coming into the nfl and then you have good josh allen and then you have brian burns and i think those three make up my top and i know those three make up my top four players in this draft draft and then fourth is that Oliver and then fifth is Greedy Williams this is a draft that isn't isn't quarterback it's not it's not a quarterback heavy draft it isn't uh, uh it isn't a uh, a draft where you're going to suddenly see a big run of offensive linemen it is really good in the middle with three three centers that I have that I gave first round grades to but the big the difference between Josh Allen and Quentin Williams and again even Ed Oliver Ed Oliver does things from the from the nose and the and the and the five technique that is that are unheard of he's got incredible athleticism he's able to do the things somebody tweeted this out and I thought it was insanely funny it was a clip of Ed Oliver covering the running back in the flat and people said this is what everybody pretend that Anthony Barr can do. And Anthony Barr is a six foot four, two hundred and fifty linebacker, and Ed Oliver matches him in athleticism. He's a really he's an incredible pass rusher, stout against the run, can play all the positions on the defensive line. And the gap between him and Quinton Williams off that alone, the versatility that Oliver brings, whereas Quinton Williams, you are stuck to playing him at the D tackle position in the three four. I don't think he can play he, I don't think he can play the D end. I don't think he can stand up and do the things that Ed Oliver can do. There's a big gap between them. And then with jo- with good Josh Allen the thing the thing that's impressed me the most about him is you're talking about a guy who's dominated tackles in the SEC at Kentucky and he is the only player on that defense and you're talking about he he has, he demonstrates po- uh, power pass rushing moves he's really good in coverage so he can drop back plays well with his hand in the dirt and plays well and plays well standing up as a rusher there is a big gap between him and a guy like Brian Burns and then the rest of and, and then the rest of the field before you get to Quentin Williams and a lot of people will sit there and they'll say oh well the only reason you don't want the Jets to take Quentin Williams is because you know they've taken Leo Williams and Mo Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson I'm not convinced that Quentin Williams is even a better prospect than Leo Williams coming into the draft and I'm sorry I've seen I've seen Leo Williams not I've seen Leo Williams become the king of the almost sack playing with Mo Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson I think that if you add an edge rusher to Leo Williams to uh, next to Leo Williams, I think you'll see him take that next step. Playing him next to an interior defensive lineman, I don't think it works. We saw what happened when you played him with a three-four defensive end and Henry Anderson who had a really good year last year. And again, it was just a ton of almost sacks. It's time that the team tries something different. But also, Josh Allen is a is a future All Pro. He is that good. He has a Khalil Mack like ceiling, whereas I do not think Quinton Williams has that kind of ceiling. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> This discussion really just comes down to how you evaluate the prospects. If you really think Quinton Williams is the next right. Aaron Donald, then yeah, I fully understand why you would take him at three. I'm not sure I think he's that level of prospect, not a generational guy. I think he's, I said about five to 10% better than Sheldon Richardson when he came out, which is pretty damn good. I think people forget that's how good, good Sheldon yep, Richardson was when he came out. I just think we have heard this so many times before, right? The Jets are going to add multiple 3-4 interior defensive linemen. We're going to let defensive mastermind Rex Ryan sort it out. He'll figure it out. 
couple years later, we're just going to keep adding defensive linemen to our 3-4. We'll let defensive mastermind Todd Bowles sort it out. He'll figure it out. Here we are again. We're just going to bring back Henry Anderson, keep Leonard Williams, and add Quentin Williams, and defensive mastermind Greg Williams will sort it out. It's an unfair thing to put on these defensive coaches. And before you say, well, Greg Williams is a way better defensive coach than Todd Bowles or Rex Ryan ever was, look at Todd Bowles and Rex Ryan's defensive reputation before they came to the Jets. It was just as, just the same as Greg Williams, if not better, in the couple of years prior to them coming here. It's a challenging situation, and it's not always about just compiling the most overall talent. It's about building the roster that fits the best to get together to maximize your overall strength and productivity. You have to have a balanced team that can attack from a lot of different angles. And I would be, look, my first preference is for the Jets to trade back. They only have six picks. I'd like to see them get to eight or nine, ten picks. So they have more dart throws. They could look at addressing offensive line with multiple picks. They could look at addressing cornerback with multiple picks. They can maybe dabble in a very deep tight end class. And yes, I think adding a second tight end is potentially a valuable thing to do because it could be just as valuable as having a better third or fourth receiver with how tight ends are used in today's offense. But I'm perfectly content with taking Josh Allen at three. I'm also still higher on Jonah Williams than most people are. I understand for most he is a big stretch at three, and I don't think the Jets would take him at three. But if they do move back four or five picks, I'm more than comfortable with them taking him with the top ten pick. I just want to see pieces that recognize and address that this is an offensive-dominated league. You need to have speed at the second level of your defense and be able to come after the quarterback on the edges, and you need to be able to cover on the outside. And right now, the thought or the self-scouting that says Jonathan Harrison's a starter at center, Dale Roberts is a starter at corner, I can't buy into that yet. They have to do more to address that. Now, outside of the draft... Is there any big trade still sitting out there that you think could prospectively happen for the Jets? They obviously still have some cap flexibility. We know they want to move Darren Lee. Uh, We know they still have their first-round pick next year. Is there any big domino you think could still fall in the trade market? Yeah, I mean, I think the two that I've been kind of watching, and before we go further, I would like to cash in my Twitter points because the last time you had me on, you said, DA, what's going to be the the big trade that happens? And granted, I thought it was going to be for the Jets, but I said it was going to be Beckham because I didn't buy that Gettleman was going to keep him. And sure enough, now he's, you know, with our friend Jeff Lloyd and going to be catching passes from Baker Mayfield. So kudos to Beckham on getting out of that cesspool and that circus that is the New York Giants. With that said, man, the two that I've been following, and I think the it's Jadavion Clowney and Demarcus Lawrence, and Clowney, man, I, it's interesting because a lot of people have scoffed at saying like, oh, well, he's not a guy that you want to trade for. And I, I couldn't disagree more. He's a guy that when healthy is a dominant pass rusher, excellent setting the edge, familiarity in the three, four. Mike McCagnan scouted him when he was in Houston and made him the and, and contributed on the staff that made him the first overall pick. And Houston doesn't want to pay him when when J.J. Watt was out. He was incredibly good. And I think that he's a guy that could be moved and he's better than D Ford. If, if, if you told me that that the Texans would 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 trade Jadavion Clowney to the Jets for a 2020 third round pick. I would absolutely take that with no hesitation because I think he's a game wrecker off that edge position and you can get him and use him in a lot of different ways. And I think he could be, he, he could be had the other guys, Demarcus Lawrence. And I said this during the season that the longer it played out with Dallas, not being able to pay him. And this became even more apparent when they traded for Amari Cooper and inherited his $15 million cap hit entering this season. They have Dak Prescott to pay. They have Zeke Elliott coming up. It's going to be very hard for them to keep everybody. They have LVE coming up in a couple, 
couple of years. He just had a really good rookie year. They have a, an expensive offensive line. And now we hear that, they, that Lawrence and the Cowboys are at an impasse. I think that there is a very good chance that he can get moved. And that's something that the Jets should try and monitor. And, I, and one of the trades that I've suggested was that I would offer a 2020 first for Demarcus Lawrence. And people were like, what? That's so crazy. If this team is as good as you think it is, and a lot of Jet fans will sit there and they've been in your mentions, Joe. They've been in mine. Oh, why so negative? This is a playoff team. They could compete for a championship. All this crazy stuff. If that's so, then I promise you, Demarcus Lawrence is worth way more than the 25th pick in the first round next year, especially where next year is such a heavy quarterback class that even at 20, you're still sitting in, in, in a good spot because you could trade back and add more picks and still add more talent. But those are the two names, Joe, that honestly I would watch out for because the fact that they haven't been signed to long-term deals, the fact that now you see with Lawrence, and Lawrence made it clear during the year that he wants to get paid. He's still young. He can grow with his defense. He's a dog, which is what Jamal Adams asked for. So is Jadavion Clowney. Those would be the two names that I watch, and you could see Darren Lee possibly going in one of those picks as kind of just a throw-in because realistically, he's not the main piece that'll get you any of those two guys. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Look, I mean, if they could pull that kind of move for Lawrence. And it definitely is a situation that bears watching when this sort of contract situation drags out this long. We saw it with Khalil Mack. I mean, that is the type of difference maker that takes this defense to a whole different level um, and really addresses a longstanding need. And I'm very curious to see if the Jets are kind of sniffing around some type of major veteran move. Uh, usually those type of things happen as we get a little closer to draft weekend. Um, or maybe right after they see how the draft shakes out. Uh, but there are definitely situations that bear monitoring as we get through draft and as we get into the summer. Uh, they do have the cap flexibility to make sort of one big swing like that. And, you know, we know they were sniffing around the Khalil Mack situation last year. It didn't ultimately come to fruition. Uh, but I would imagine that, look, this is a front office that rightly, I think, is starting to have some of the pressure turned up on it a little bit. And I'm very interested to see if they do make one other sort of major aggressive move because I think as this team stands right now, and regardless of what they do in the draft, because you can only put so many expectations on rookies, this team feels like it is in that 7-8 win range. Um, I, You know, again, we've, had the, we've heard the GM and we've heard the interim owner and we've heard the coach talk about expectations. Gase said the closest to what I think is fair and reasonable that this team should be in the conversation for the playoffs in December. Now, I don't think being in the conversation for the playoffs is a strong goal for an organization to set when they're in year five uh, of a building process. You don't want to be seven and six and then lose your last three games in blowouts like Miami did. I don't think that type of seven and nine is an acceptable year. I think this team, you you want to see them playing for something meaningful in the last week of the season and really threatening to be a playoff team. Now, if they go 10-6 and six and they lose out because of a tiebreaker, I think that's one kind of discussion. I think if they're 6-10 and 10 or 7-9, and you've got to look long and hard at making some serious changes. And I think they're still a major move or two away uh, in really being a serious playoff contender because you have to assume there's going to be some type of injuries that hit. And I worry about their overall depth right now. And that's why I'd like to see them get more swings draft weekend and still be a little more active in some of the remaining pieces in free agency. You know, could they look at adding a guy like TJ Yeldon to have better depth at running back behind Le'Veon Bell? 
could they look at maybe right. adding a second or third tier pass rusher, uh, like a guy like Nick Perry? I'm not sure if Rashawn Melvin's still out there at corner, but just adding a few more bodies and increasing the overall competition level when they get in training camp, you could get people for dirt cheap at this stage of free agency. So I'm curious if they poke around and make any sort of minor moves like that too to further flesh out what their overall depth is. Before we let you go, you want to talk about what podcast you have returning and also give the people some day two, day three gems or eyes, uh, players that you're going to have an eye on that you'd be potentially excited about the Jets adding. Yeah, absolutely. But first, I promised that I was going to tell a story about how we got robbed at a flag football tournament because that was something that was asked of us. Please so do. Listen. Please so do. Joe, so, so Joe Connor, Cole, who's, been, who's back to TOJ, Myself, we were playing in a flag football tournament sponsored by San Antonio Holmes' foundation. And it was great, right? Like, we were out there dominating. And then we were playing this one team, and it was double elimination. And Joe catches a touchdown in the end zone that put us up. And realistically, the way we were playing defensively should have really wrapped it up. However, the refs took the touchdown away. So we end up losing to this team that, you know, I don't even remember who the hell they are. Then in the elimination game, Joe has another touchdown taken away that, again, costs us the game, and we end up eliminated. So case in point, don't trust the refs. Joe was the original Austin Safarian Jenkins. Don't be fooled. Um, you know, we dominated everybody that we were on the field with, but the refs, you know, the Zebras took it away from us. So I promise I would share that story because somebody asked, uh, you know, on Twitter. So that's the story of that. We I were was robbed gen- of our I was generally robbed. And I, I, the way I remember it, I was the best player on the field that day. That's all, the only way I remember it. Now it was a that's long time it. ago, and I haven't slept a lot because I got a newborn, but... I, I mean, the robbery, highway you know, robbery. I'm not going to fight you on that. On Roosevelt yeah, Island. For I'm not going to fight you on that because I, I, th- I think you were, you know, realistically. I mean, it was a toss-up between you and Connor and because and, and, Cole and I were on the offensive line. So, yes. Um, <laughs> but, yes, we got robbed. Um, so, for me, yeah, I, so draft season uh, – season three so season one started with jeff and i then we transitioned to joe and i because you know jeff passed the baton and now we're really pumped because it's a panel of five of us doing uh, toj draft season so it's myself joe malfa dan essen clay and greg armstrong um so we're you know we uh it'll release every thursday on toj digital we're super pumped um it's five different opinions seven rounds of draft talk three minutes each round um and yeah we're super pumped so we can't wait for you guys to check out the returning episode so next Thursday. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned like guys that I'm thinking, you know, in day two and day three that could be had. Um, if they opted to go the wide receiver route, you could look at a guy like Paris Campbell from Ohio State. I know you probably have PTSD from Devin Smith, Joe, but Paris Campbell is a better route runner and a better receiver than Devin Smith. And also, this is a team you alluded to this earlier in terms of the offensive line, but this is a team that has to start preparing for life after these veterans leave and a good team like the Patriots, right? The Patriots can lose Trey Flowers and just trade a pick for Michael Bennett and probably add another person. They lose Gronk, they're probably going to draft Noah Fant, but they also have Dwayne Allen on that team. So it's things to think about with like the Jets, if they want to emulate the Patriots, that's one of the things that they have to do. Paris Campbell would be a really good addition to the wide receiver room. Yadni Kajuste from West Virginia, offensive lineman, 6'5", 312. Kelvin Beecham will probably not be here next year. You need to start investing in the offensive line behind him, behind Brian Winters, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but behind Brandon Shell because Brandon Shell's coming off a really bad injury. They said he's going to be ready for training camp, but he's also 27 years old. This should be the prime of his career, but if the Jets see that, they, that he doesn't fit this new scheme, and by all intents and purposes, McCagney and Gates are going to get a lot of time, it's possible that he's not here you know, past next year as well. Another guy, if they go edge in the draft, DeAndre Walker from Georgia, 6'2", 250, explosive first step. 
incredibly violent hands. And again, the Jets have Jordan Jenkins at the other edge, obviously that I think is going to be opposite of Josh Allen in the draft. But Jordan Jenkins offers very little as a pass rusher. And Greg Williams had Miles Garrett and Emmanuel Ogba last year. He's going to want actual pass rushers. And I think, honestly, if you went with a guy like Walker in round three or round four, he could be a guy that you get. Another guy that I think I, the Jets Twitter would love and Gang Green would love to have, especially if they're really conscious of uh, making sure that they're monitoring Le'Veon Bell's uh, workload, is David Montgomery from Iowa State, running back, 5'10", 222. He's the best running back in this class. People are going to try to sell you on Josh Jacobs. It's not Josh Jacobs. It's David Montgomery. And a lot of people say, oh, well, why would you take a running back if you have Le'Veon Bell? If you want to make sure that Le'Veon Bell makes it through the next three years of this contract, you want to get him a running back that can do the things that he does. And then lastly, lastly, because they need a cornerback, Trayvon Mullen from Clemson, who for me, I have him as cornerback number three, but a lot of people are saying that he's going to go in round three because, because of his, because he's a little bit slimmer than, than a lot of the bigger corners. He's 6'1", 199, but he's a playmaker on the ball, excels in man coverage, excels in zone. And I think ultimately you're going to see, this is a very deep cornerback and wide receiver class. Like we're seeing kind of a downturn. Now that it's become a more passing league, you're seeing co college coaches develop cornerbacks better. Trayvon Mullen's a guy that can step in and absolutely take that job from Daryl Roberts and then eventually take over for Tremaine Johnson because realistically he should not be here past the following year, but we're kind of stuck with him. So those are five guys that I think Jet fans should pay attention to that could be had in rounds three, four, five, and six. Well, despite my Devin Smith PTSD, I am also a fan of Campbell as a potential target on day two. You know, I'm always excited about adding receivers. I can't, I can't help myself. And um, I'm excited to dive into a little more draft writing myself, heavier draft writing. I have a long article uh, coming out Friday to discuss some potential day two names, uh, day three names, and also the whole Quinn and Williams, Josh Allen discussion uh, that we had earlier. But, you know, I am hoping the Jets do take a couple more swings on some pass catchers for uh, Sam Darnold, whether that's a Campbell, whether they look at a Riley Ridley or a Debo Samuel potentially on day two, even at the tight end position which I like the depth there. Maybe a guy like Josh Oliver, you get him out there with Herndon. Both of them are in their slot. They're moving around. You just want as many as much versatility as possible uh, to make Sam Darnold's life easier. It's all about making Sam Darnold's life easier. That's all that matters at this point. So we're going to be heads down on draft content on this podcast, on the website, on Twitter, on the other podcast that Dalbin mentioned. Make sure to follow Dalbin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Jake Caparoso. Uh, we'll be back with a podcast at least every Thursday up through the NFL draft. Probably a few more dropped in as we get a little closer. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Subscribe, rate, review. You know we need that love on iTunes. Dalbin, thank you as always. Absolutely. Thank you. T-O-J.